Well, hello again, everybody. My name is Alex, and I'm the student minister here at UBC, and I'm really excited to be talking to you all today as we continue on this incredible series, looking at the life of this great dreamer, a man called Joseph. And today, we're going to be looking at how we can respond to situations where we may feel forgotten by others or even by God. I want to start with a question today, as I often do. I wonder if you have ever had an experience of forgetting something or someone, or perhaps being forgotten yourself. Have you ever had that kind of experience? We looked at that, didn't we, just now in our big story with the kids. And if you are someone who knows what it feels like to be forgotten, it's not a very nice experience, is it? It can have a really profound impact on us and actually quite a negative impact if we let it. So I was talking to my mum about this in the week, actually, and I asked her that question, and probably no parent wants to really be asked. And I asked her if she'd ever forgotten me as a child. I apologise, parents, if you're going to have some awkward conversations after church today. I did already ask uh, Tom Noble on the, li the live chat this morning in the studio if he'd been forgotten. So if you want to find out the answer, just go watch on YouTube after the service. He's very honest. <laughs> But yeah, so I asked my mum if she'd forgotten me because I didn't have any sort of vivid memories of this as a child. And she was very honest with me. And she said that there was this one occasion when I was younger that she forgot to pick me up from a summer club. She was held up uh, in a meeting. And by the time she realised what the time was, she was already half an hour or so late for picking me up. And she felt terrible. And as we talked about this, actually, the memory sort of came back into my mind because I was only very young. I was five or six years old, perhaps. And I do remember that feeling, watching all the other kids getting picked up by their parents, and I was left there waiting with one of the staff members. Fortunately, my mum was able to call up and let them know that she was going to be a little bit late. So it wasn't all that bad in the end. But I do remember that experience of waiting just felt so much longer than it really was. And when we're kind of in that situation and we feel like perhaps we've forgotten, it's not a very nice experience that's when doubts can really creep in, isn't it? And it can affect how we feel, can affect our mood and our attitude, and it can affect perhaps how we approach situations going forward in our lives. I wonder if anyone in the room, talking to the kids as well now, has seen the film Home Alone. Has anyone seen that film? I know I'm talking about a Christmas film and it's still the summer. We have a rule here, don't we, at ABC? But it's such a great film. But actually, if you've seen it, the storyline is quite a serious story, isn't it? You know, this young boy called Kevin, who's the main character, he's only eight years old when he wakes up one morning to find that his family have gone on holiday without him. And so he's left home alone, isn't he? But does anyone remember, how does Kevin react to this terrible, desperately sad situation? Yes, shout it out if you want. Yes, he is very happy. And actually, Kevin celebrates, doesn't he? He runs around his house, he eats pizza, he jumps on his parents' bed, he does all the things he's probably not allowed to do. And actually, he has a really great time to begin with. However, after a little while, that feeling begins to wear off, doesn't it? And he faces some significant challenges in as the story unfolds. But what I think is really remarkable 
is that although Kevin's attitude throughout the story is, is actually not one of defeat, is it? If you think about it, he doesn't ever get negative or down. He's quite determined little boy, actually, and I think that's really inspiring. I think it's a very courageous and hopeful attitude to have, and of course, it makes for a great movie storyline, doesn't it? But I want us to just hold that idea in our minds this morning as we're going to look back now at the story we've been following through this series all about a man called Joseph. And if you have been joining us so far in this series, you'll know that we've looked at this story right from the beginning. When Joseph was a young boy, he had this amazing dream that one day he was going to be someone great, someone that his family would bow down to, in fact. However, things don't really go all that well for Joseph, do they? they don't, that dream doesn't seem to work out to begin with. His brothers are jealous because he's the favorite and he's had this dream. So they betray him. They sell him into slavery in the foreign land of Egypt. His own father thinks he's dead. And then he ends up serving in the home of a significant Egyptian official, a man called Potiphar. And there Joseph is um, enslaved in this country. And last week, Chris looked at that part of the story and he looked at how Joseph overcame significant temptation when Potiphar, his master, Potiphar's wife, tried to seduce Joseph. But Joseph resisted because he is a man of character. However, the story goes on because after that incident, Potiphar's wife is not best pleased. So she makes up a complete lie. She kind of makes up this story saying that Joseph was the one who tried to take advantage of her. And Joseph, just being a slave from another country, ends up being falsely accused and he's thrown into prison. And although we don't have precise evidence from the text, it's thought he could have ended up spending around 10 to 12 years in prison. So it's a significant period of time, isn't it? So there Joseph is, he's been thrown into prison, left and forgotten. And this is where we're gonna pick up the story today. Because whilst Joseph is in prison, Things actually go relatively well for him as well as they can do. You know, again, he's this man of character. He's noticed as a good and reliable person. And he ends up being put in charge of all the prisoners in the prison, which is quite an amazing job if you think about it. And whilst he's in this role, Joseph is assigned to look after two men who have come into the prison. They're quite important men, actually. They both worked for the king of Egypt known as Pharaoh. One of them uh, was the cupbearer to the king. And the other one was the chief baker to the king. And they both annoyed Pharaoh for whatever reason. And he's pretty angry with them. So he gets them thrown into prison. And whilst they're in prison, they both have a dream on the same night. And this dream is something they don't understand. And it troubles them. And Joseph notices that they're in distress. So he approaches them and he asks them what's going on. And they tell him their dilemma. <coughs> we both had dreams, they say but there is no one to interpret them. And I just want to note here, it's important that, to know that in the Egyptian culture at the time, there would have been specific people who were thought to be able to interpret dreams. People like wise men or magicians or what we might understand as fortune tellers today. But Joseph isn't an Egyptian person. He's not an Egyptian man. He is from a different country and culture. He's a Hebrew and he has faith in God. And that's really significant for the story today. Let's just listen to what Joseph says in return to these two men. He says to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. So they both tell him their dreams 
and Joseph is able to successfully interpret them. And this is because God has revealed their meaning to him because Joseph trusts in God and knows that this is what God can do. And the dreams that both these men have reveal that both the cupbearer and the baker are soon going to be released from prison. So it's good news, isn't it? However, it's only good news for one of them because one of them is going to be kind of pardoned by Pharaoh and released back into his service, and that's the cupbearer. However, the other one is not so lucky and sadly is going to be killed, and this is the baker. So knowing this, knowing the details of the story, Joseph approaches the cupbearer and he asks for a favor. And he says this to the cupbearer, but when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews and even here I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. He's making quite a fair point there, isn't he? So as predicted, the cupbearer and the baker are released from prison. The baker uh, unfortunately is killed and the cupbearer goes back to work for Pharaoh. However, the cupbearer completely forgets about Joseph and the conversation that they've had. And it's not until two years later that something happens which jogs his memory. One night, Pharaoh has a really confusing and troubling dream. It's quite a complex dream, actually, and he doesn't understand it. So he summons all the wise men, all the magicians of the land, and he asks them to try and interpret this dream. But none of them are able to do this. And it's then that the cupbearer remembers Joseph. And he is able to tell Pharaoh that he knows of a man who can interpret dreams. So Pharaoh immediately sends for Joseph. He gets him released from prison and and Joseph is sent to the royal court. And I love this part of the story. I love the encounter that Joseph has with Pharaoh. Bear in mind, he's been in prison all those years. You know, he's a slave in this foreign land. But listen to what Joseph says to this powerful king of Egypt when he's asked if he can interpret the dream. I cannot do it, Joseph says. It's quite a bold thing to say. You know, I think that could easily have got him killed, but he goes on and he says, I cannot do it, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. And Pharaoh's kind of okay with this. So he uh, goes on to tell Joseph his dream in full and Joseph can interpret it perfectly. And Pharaoh is so impressed with Joseph that he does something now that is unimaginable. It's an absolutely astonishing part of the story. He decides he's going to appoint Joseph to be governor of the entire land of Egypt, which is one of the biggest empires in the world at the time. And we get to this massive turning point in the story where Joseph goes from being this foreign slave who's been unfairly treated, unjustly sent to prison and left and forgotten about, And then he becomes the most important and powerful official in the land of Egypt after Pharaoh himself. And I just kind of like to pause at this point in the story because it is incredible, isn't it? What happens to Joseph is utterly miraculous. It's unbelievable, actually. It's amazing how Joseph's story has changed. And this really is now the good news part of the story. This is where that dream that Joseph once had as a boy is now going to become a reality, probably in a way that no one could have imagined. But let's not forget, it's not been an easy journey to this point for Joseph, has it? He's endured many trials and hardships, setbacks. 
He's been left and forgotten. He's waited for many, many years to get to this place. You know, he had to cope with all those years serving out in prison. And even at the end, those two further years, when Joseph has that hope that the cupbearer might remember him, but he forgets him and he's left waiting even longer. And I wonder how Joseph would have been feeling during all of that time. How would you or I feel in that situation, I wonder? Do you think Joseph was okay with feeling forgotten? You know, if you look at his story, he's been sort of forgotten by his family. He's been forgotten by his Egyptian master who throws him into prison. And now even this man, the cupbearer, has forgotten all about him. And I wonder if Joseph doubted whether God was still with him. Maybe he felt forgotten by God. And I don't think you would blame him for feeling this, would you? And that being the case, you might expect Joseph to be frustrated and bitter, maybe even angry with God. I wonder if you or I can relate to that. But actually, as we read the story, we discover that this is not the case at all. It gives us no indication this is how Joseph has responded. You know, we're told, aren't we, that even when he's in prison, he's been put there unfairly. Joseph's behavior is good. It's so good, in fact, that he's put in charge of other prisoners and given responsibility. He is that man of great character. This doesn't seem to me like someone who's given up hope or become bitter and twisted. And as for Joseph's feelings towards God, well, we don't get told too much, but I think we get some real insight into this in what Joseph says to Pharaoh when he's released from prison and asked to interpret the dream. Again, Joseph, he doesn't complain, does he, or act bitterly. He doesn't want to try and get revenge on the cupbearer. He's not angry with the state of Egypt for what they've done to him. What does Joseph do? He talks about God, doesn't he? That's the one thing we get. He talks about his God, which is a risky thing to do. Bear in mind that in Egypt, it was a different culture. There was different religious systems and beliefs. But that's what Joseph is willing to do. He's willing to still place his faith and trust in God, even though he may have felt like God had forgotten him along the way. And Joseph isn't angry, is he? He's not bitter, but somehow he's been holding on to hope the whole time. And I think that's an incredibly inspiring thing. And I think it's interesting too that as this part of the story we're looking at today, Joseph's hope initially rests on a person, doesn't it? The cupbearer, that's his sort of ticket out of prison, but the cupbearer forgets him. Everyone in Joseph's life has seemingly forgotten all about him and left him. And we might think as we read the story that God has forgotten him, or at least for a little while, but actually God hasn't forgotten Joseph. And in all those years of waiting and wondering and left in prison, it seems that God was engineering something far greater than we could ever imagine. Because actually God does far more than just get Joseph released from prison, doesn't he? He actually makes that dream that Joseph had when he was a little boy. He makes that dream come true. And Joseph is able to go from being that slave in a foreign land to being one of the most important and powerful rulers. And that is no small thing, is it? That's nothing less than a miracle. And I think that's just astonishing that it is God who actually turns around Joseph's story. And I think there's a great lesson in this for us today, that whatever circumstance we find ourselves in, 
actually, we might have the ability to choose how we're going to respond. Like Joseph, we might choose the kind of attitude and character that we want to display, even when we have to suffer, even when we're waiting, and even when we feel like God has forgotten us. You know, our circumstances don't have to dictate or choose our attitude. Actually, we can do that, can't we? And I know it's not easy, but I think there's something incredibly powerful in that. And you might be thinking today, well, this is a nice idea, isn't it, in in theory, but the reality is not so easy, and that, you would be right, it is incredibly difficult. But I just want to finish today with a story that I came across recently that I hope will really encourage and inspire us, because it did to me. I read this story about a woman who survived the Holocaust when she was just a teenager. Her name is Edith. Uh, She's still alive, actually. She's in her 90s, and she lives in America. And she grew up in a Hungarian Jewish family. And towards the end of the Second World War, her family was sent off to the concentration camp known as Auschwitz in Poland. On arrival there, her parents were taken off and killed immediately. Uh, And miraculously, Edith and her sister survived to the end of the war. And I say survived because they may have survived physically, but they were left with significant emotional and psychological scars. But Edith, however, goes on to try and build a life, and she actually becomes a clinical psychologist. And she's fascinated by this one thing. She's fascinated by the idea of human choice in response to situations of immense suffering and pain and trauma. And the reason that she's fascinated with this is because even though Edith herself has endured such horrors, such hell on earth, she has actually learned an important truth. And it's this, that no one can take away what she chooses to put in her own mind. That even though she was left and forgotten about in prison, along with thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions of other people, even though she was unfairly treated and all her human freedoms were stripped from her, she discovered that actually no one could have an influence over what she chose to believe and think in her own mind. And that keeps her going throughout a lot of the situations and ordeals that she goes through. And as a, as a result, actually, you know, Edith studies this in more depth, and she's able to go on and help others. And she's also able to go on and forgive those who held her captive, and even those who are responsible for her parents' death. And Edith has actually dedicated her life to helping others who've experienced trauma to this very day, and she's still doing that work in her 90s. And you might think, well, again, this is a great story, but Edith is probably just someone with unnatural mental strength, and that's not me. But there is another element to this story, because Edith, as I mentioned, is a Jewish woman, and she has faith. And she has faith in God, just like Joseph had faith in God. And actually, Edith doesn't lose her faith during everything that she's been through in life. I'm sure she felt forgotten by God. I'm sure she felt alone at times, but she didn't give up hope. And it's her faith that enables her to choose an attitude of determination and resilience. And this gets her through um, to the end of the war and actually through the rest of her life, because as I'm sure many of you know, those kind of situations don't just leave you uh, once they're over. 
And Edith writes about her experiences in a book that's appropriately called The Choice. And I just really recommend this to you. I couldn't put it down when I read it recently. It's an incredible story. And I found as I was reading it, it was really interesting that Edith's work is influenced by another like, well-known Holocaust survivor, a man called Viktor Frankl. I don't think he's alive anymore. But he also went on to become a psychiatrist and a psychologist after the war. And he wrote his own book about his experiences, which is called Man's Search for Meaning. And there's an amazing quote in his book that captures what we're looking at today. And I just want to um, read this to you all now. It's quite a big quote, but I think it's just absolutely amazing the wisdom that we find in it. And he says this. Everything can be taken from a man but one thing. The last of the human freedoms It's this. To choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances. To choose one's own way. It is this spiritual freedom which cannot be taken away that makes life meaningful and purposeful. And I'll just let that sink in for a moment. Isn't that an incredible quote? It just amazes me that someone who's experienced something as horrific as the Holocaust could write something like this. And you know, making the choice is just the first step because putting it into practice can be really difficult. But we don't have to do it alone. You know, Joseph wasn't alone, was he? Even in all those years of prison, he trusted in God. And Edith wasn't alone. She too trusted in God. And we can do the same. And I think if God can get people like Joseph and Edith through some of the horrendous experiences they've been through, imagine what he can do in our lives if we let him and if we trust in him. And if we do this, if we choose the kind of attitude that we want to have, maybe even ahead of time, maybe even ahead of difficult situations, I wonder if we'll discover, just like Joseph and just like Edith, that God hasn't forgotten us, but he's been working tirelessly behind the scenes, engineering something even greater than we could ever imagine. Wouldn't that be amazing? But it does take faith on our part. And I kind of think it a little bit like uh, going back to the film Home, Al Home Alone. You know, Kevin could have thought his family had forgotten about him and given up, but he does hold on to hope, doesn't he? He does believe that they're gonna come back for him and actually discover throughout the film that his mum has been working tirelessly behind the scenes. She's been doing everything she can to get back to her son. And I feel like sometimes it's a bit like that with God. We don't always see or know what he's doing, but we can have faith and trust that he is doing something amazing, that he never forgets about any one of us, that he's always at work behind the scenes and in our lives. And he wants to bring us closer to him and to help us take those steps of faith. So whatever you might be going through today in your life, in your personal journey of life or faith even, maybe you have felt forgotten in the past. Maybe you feel forgotten by God right now. But I just want to encourage us all that I really believe if we want to take that step, if we take that choice of how we're going to respond and the type of attitude that we're going to have, even when things are really difficult, I believe that God is going to meet us along the way and he's going to give us the strength and the courage that we need to see it through. 
And wouldn't it, wouldn't it be amazing that when we do go through situations that are difficult and testing, maybe we're suffering and we feel forgotten, that we can look back one day and realize that we too were people of great character and great faith, even in the darkest times of our lives. So let's pray together. Loving God, we just thank you for the stories that we've heard today. People who have endured such difficult and testing situations and yet have not lost their faith, have not lost that ability to choose how they're going to respond and the type of attitude that they want to display in their lives. Lord, this is not easy at all. And I pray for anyone today feeling lost or forgotten or just left abandoned, would you just strengthen them and help them? And would you help us in whatever we're going through in our lives right now? And help us to realize that we have that ability to choose our attitude and choose how we are going to respond. Amen.